Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths laying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I would never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand out and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen 
and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. So one of the things we have to see as we look at this and we look at the rest of Scripture, we have to just say, you know, oh, the miracles. First, the miraculous virgin birth. And the fact that God became man is one of the biggest miracles at all. How is that even conceivably possible? And then second, the water turned into wine at the wedding of Canaan. And third, the healing of the blind, the lame, the leprous. And fourth, the casting out of demons. And fifth, walking on the water with Peter, which Peter was able to do for a while. And the multiplication of the bread and the fishes. And sixth, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And then the multitudes that followed him and even worshipped him and the, the kingdom of God had truly and surely arrived. And yet the Jewish religious authorities and the Roman government officials both combined their power and their sinister plans and had him unjustly condemned to die. And to die a shameful and cursed death on the cross. Deuteronomy calls the hanging on a tree being cursed. And there was even an opportunity for him to be set free. And the people yelled for Barabbas to be released. And if we go back to John chapter 18, in verse 35, beginning there, we read, as he's standing before Pilate, Jesus is, and Pilate answers him, and he says, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a, a robber. And even there, you see a picture of the gospel. You see that it, it was not possible for Jesus to be released. This was God's foreordained plan for him. It was not going to happen. But if Satan could have had Jesus released, that would have been the better strategy. If Satan could have convinced everyone to just let him go, it would have been the better strategy. But Satan not understanding or able to contain his rage because the hatred is blind and can only seek death and the righteous one is condemned and the sinner is set free. 
And that's a picture of what happens to us. It's, it's not the unrighteous one that's crucified, but Christ instead, the sinner is set free. But who knows how long Barabbas was free? It was just a thing that physically occurred. But the thief on the cross, he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He doesn't say, you know, you let me die and not you. He says, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And so that thief is free forevermore, though he still hangs on the cross. But it will be a light, momentary affliction, as bad as it was. But all the miracles, all the wisdom, all finished on the cross. And Jesus says the word you know, tetelestai that we see now, the Greek word, the, the perfect future tense where it's not just it's finished, but it has now been finished forever is the idea behind it. It is finished. It has been completed now and for all times. He has completed completely the work of redemption and everything that's necessary for salvation. Everything necessary for the salvation of all the believers in him. Everything forever done. But for the onlookers, for those who were there that loved Jesus, that were watching what had occurred, um, it was finished. It was, it was over. It was hopelessly over. Jesus was defeated. All their hopes crucified as they stood completely helpless and they stood there watching their Lord being crucified crying out and not understanding and then Luke go to the gospel according to Luke chapter 24 it's the one right before the gospel of John Luke chapter 24 verse 13 So we, we've had the, the resurrections occurred. And we get to verse 13. That very day of the resurrection, two of them, the disciples who had been out and about, um, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now, that's an interesting thing. Just Jesus keeps appearing and people not knowing what he, who he is. And he reveals himself to be who he is. And so that's something that we're going to, that we pray for as well. That people would not just hear of him, but know who he is. Um, in verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And this also happens with the gospel. The, the God of this world um, has blinded the hearts of non-believers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The Holy Spirit does something as he does something here. So Jesus himself walks up with these disciples. They're talking about what's going on. It's not like their minds are engaged in football or something or they're trying to you know, rejoice that they can find toilet paper, but they are actually talking about everything that had occurred. And then Jesus walks up. And they don't recognize him because they're being kept from being able to recognize him. And in verse 17, they said, he says to them, what's the conversation that you two are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. 
And then one of them named Cleopas answered him and said, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So this is very widespread. I mean, this is not, so somebody comes up and they said, it'd be like somebody walking up today and going, where's everybody? <laughs> what are you talking about? Where's everybody? You know, it's like, where have you been? Are you the only person that doesn't know? And so Jesus comes up and he's like, what's going on? And they said, are you the only one that doesn't know? And he said to them, he said, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And that's one of the saddest verses in scripture. But we had hoped that he was the one. We had hoped. And so what are they saying? We were wrong. We placed our hopes in the wrong one. They loved him. As misled as he was. Because he couldn't be who he said he was or he'd be alive still. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Now, they got this report, but they're still saying, and we had hoped that he was the Redeemer of Israel. And they get this report, there's the third day and he's alive, and he had prophesied about this earlier, and they still don't get it. Even so, you know, he's... We had hoped these things. 24, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as these women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Jesus speaking, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now you'll hear preachers or teachers talk about this and what they'll typically say is, Oh, wouldn't it be awesome to have sat there and have Jesus show you in the scriptures? <laughs> all these things concerning, you know, concerning himself. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it'd be awesome to have Jesus sit there with you telling you anything, you know. But you got people that will go through the scriptures and show these things to you. You can find these things. This is why the Old Testament, we say, and we can see that the Bible says that it does, proclaims Jesus Christ. You can preach the gospel from the Old Testament. You preach the gospel from the New Testament. You have to have the New Testament to explain these things. Jesus is doing this now. And now, then he does it by giving his spirit to the apostles. So the apostles write the word of God in the New Testament. And now he gives his spirit to us that we might believe and read these things for ourselves and have teachers and preachers and our own selves to read and to study and to see Jesus Christ in all of the scriptures. Beginning with Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then we have the prophets. 
and he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning themselves. So they, neared, they drew near to the village which they were going. Now this day still don't know who he is. He's done this still. And they're like, you know, this is a wise teacher. And he acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he blessed it and broke it and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And it's just really neat how their eyes were opened at the table as he breaks the bread. And he gives it to them. And then their eyes are opened and they recognize him. And this is what we do at the Lord's table. We remember him. We recognize him. And then he vanishes from their sight. So he has this, he's, he's human body still, but it's this glorified body. He appears to the apostles in locked doors. So he shows up there. And then here he just disappears, vanishes from their sight. And then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? I mean, just, you know, I mean, it just had to be, you know, how foolish we were not to have known that any of, we missed our opportunity. You know, it was Jesus the whole time. But, you know, they'll get to see him again, most likely. He appears to many. And then they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And so it's quite, quite the miracle. And then verse 40, 41. And while they still dis... Well, hold on. Verse 36. As they, the disciples, were talking about these things. So he's telling them about it. This is what happened. He's teaching us the bread. And they're talking about these things. Then Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. Which is his repeated, repeated phrase. And they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do you, does doubt arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So Jesus did not arise as spirit. He rose as flesh. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, okay, so now this is why they disbelieve. They're no longer disbelieving uh, because they just don't believe. But now they're so excited. It's the thing that we'll say a lot of times. It's like, I can't believe it. I can't believe how good this is. So now they couldn't believe for joy. And they were marveling. And he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. And then he said to them, these are my words that I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, that's the Torah, and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And that's our prayer. That's our desire that's what we need, that our minds would be open to understand the scriptures, which also means that unless your minds are open, you can't really understand the scriptures. So that's why you'll have atheists read the Bible and say it's foolishness. Um, I heard one atheist speaker say that if he were God and he were going to write a book, he could have done better than this. 
<laughs> which you see the, the arrogance in that. You don't want to be too close to him at judgment unless he's repented since then. But your mind has to be opened. And if your mind's been opened, then you see the glory of it. You see the beauty of it. You see the salvation in it. You see that there's more in here than you could possibly ever see. But you do have your minds open. So Jesus opened their minds to understand and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day rise, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. This is the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And that's what occurs at Pentecost. So we have to ask ourselves at this point, what's the importance of, of this great miracle of the resurrection? Because he's here and he is alive and he's pointing out all these things in scripture that testify to him. But what's... The importance of the resurrection. I remember years ago going to church with a friend of mine and we were at a, um, a, an Easter service and I said, what if, what if he hadn't have been resurrected? He still died for our sins. And then he was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And so I think afterwards we talked to the preacher about it and he probably explained it beautifully and we didn't quite understand yet again or he did explain it and that's how I understand it now. But uh, yeah, it's just one of those thoughts. Well, he died for our sins. What's up with the resurrection? Was that really necessary? Because Jesus said on the cross, what? It is finished. And so was it necessary? Because there was still one more thing that needed to occur. But Jesus' work was finished. He had done everything he was called to do by the Father. It's done. I've done it. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. So the work of paying the penalty of sins and forgiveness was done. But would the Father find this sacrifice sufficient? Would the Father find this sacrifice enough? Jesus knew he would. Jesus has no doubts. Jesus' complete faith that same mind as the Father. And he knows it's finished. This is it. I've done it. All that's to come now is today you'll be of me in paradise. On the third day I'll raise again. From the dead. He's already tasted death for us. He's ascended to hell. And Jesus knew, and he could say it is finished. And now the Father places his stamp of approval on him and raises his son from the dead by the power of the eternal spirit. And we see the importance of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is where Paul um, talks about the importance of the resurrection. You read this in verse 1. <clears throat> Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
So believing in the teachings of Paul is necessary unto salvation. Verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And this is Old Testament Scriptures He's talking about. And that He appeared to Cephas, this is Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, so you can go talk to them. They've seen this. We have eyewitnesses. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people to be most pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, all those who are in Christ. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so that's what we look forward to. But look again at verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, it's for nothing, and you're still in your sins. Now that's an important phrase, still in, what does it mean to be in your sins? And it means is you're clothed in your sin. When you stand before a righteous and holy, just, wrathful God, one who is wrathful over sin, and you're standing there in your, clothed in your sin, then you will be undone. You will call for the mountains to fall upon you. You will be cast into hell 
and you will desire to be cast into hell away from the presence of the Lord. How terrible of a thing it must be to see a righteous judgment made on the unrighteous and see that they would prefer. It's, it's, it's like the, the ones who you see jump from the burning buildings. They know they're going to their death, but to escape the flames, they would do anything. And what we see here is they're jumping from their salvation into the flames because they can't deal with the righteous light of Jesus, of, of Jesus Christ, of God the Father, the Holy Spirit. It's, a, it's an unfathomable condition. Um, but that's why you see today people who reject the salvation of Christ because they can't, they can't endure it. So they can come up with lots of logical, or even appear to be illogical reasons, but everyone knows there's a God to suppress it in their sin. And so even standing before a righteous God, the prayers of the mountains that they would fall upon them. So if Christ is not raised, we're, we're still in our sin. But then if you look at verse 21, by a man came death. So we all have fallen um, into death by, from Adam. Um, Old, New Testament always takes us theology all the way back to the, Old, to the Old Testament, to the beginning. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. So man, Adam, and now the second Adam, Jesus Christ has come. So now we have the resurrection from the dead. Not just, so when we say the Apostles' Creed and we say, I believe in um, the resurrection of the dead, we don't just mean the resurrection of Jesus, but our resurrection, that we will be resurrected to new life. So when Jesus is raised, it's important that we're in him. So whatever he has done, we have done. If he dies in sin on the cross and stays dead, there's no life for us. And so we have been raised with him. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die. And that is everybody, because everybody's born in Adam. So we're all in this, the Adam's family. We're all in Adam's line. We're all born into that. We're all born into sin. But in Christ, when, you, when a, when a non-believer believes, when a sinner becomes born again, when they repent of their sin and trust in Christ, you're taken out of this sinful line and you're adopted into the family of Christ where you would get everything that he gets. You're, he's the elder brother and he inherits and gives everything to us so that in Christ we can stand before a righteous judge and we have everything and we'll be made alive. So you're dead in your trespasses and sins in Adam, but you're made alive in Christ so that because of the resurrection, because he lives, we live. And the power that's at work that raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible tells us, is the same power that's at work in us. So when we think as believers, I'm not good enough, I can't do this, I can't do You have the power of the Holy Spirit working within you. You just need to go to the scriptures, go to church, be around other believers. You need to pray, you need the sacraments, you need these things, the means of grace that God has given us and says, this is where the windy places are. This is where the Spirit is, come taste, drink, and this is what the Father gives to us. And then finally, turn to Romans chapter 1. Brooke always gets mad at me when I say finally and we go somewhere else. Let me make sure we're going to go to, and we might flip around. So as we continue, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. 
1 through 4. Romans 1, 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. See, they all are tying it back to this Old Testament, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David, King David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in Romans chapter 4, verse 22. Paul writes, continuing, he says, That is why his faith was counted to him as righteous. Speaking of Abraham, who had faith, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 23, Romans 4, 23. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also that it would be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, it sounds like there's two different things that are happening, and there are, he, but there's also tied together, delivered up for our trespasses, so he dies for our sins. But then he's raised for our justification. And what the word justification means is righteousification. It's dikaisene. The, the root word is righteousness. So when you see sanctus means holy and sanctification, that means the holification. You're being set apart unto God. Um, you're becoming more and more like him. But dikaisene, the righteousification, becoming just. Not only are your sins forgiven and it's wiped clean and when they open up the books, there's nothing there of your sin to be held against you. But also in there is the imputed righteousness of Christ, we call it. Everything he did becomes ours. So you're not just declared not guilty, which is one thing. I mean, because and we have what's the jurisprudence of the United States? You're con, you are you are innocent until proven guilty, and that is not right. That is not the way it is stated, and that's what we say a lot of times. But it's not true. You are either innocent or you are guilty. But in our justice system, you are considered righteous. You're considered innocent until you're proven guilty. Now you may be de, you may be declared not guilty, and be truly guilty in a courtroom. They can get it wrong. But in the courtroom of God, he's never going to get anything wrong. But the thing is, you stand before God guilty, but Jesus has paid the penalty. So those things have been forgiven. And now he justifies you. You're not only declared not guilty, you're declared innocent. And that's huge and important as we stand before God. I'm not just, every, you know, nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling. Yes, but also, and I quote that verse from the song a lot, but you also have in your hands all the righteousness of Christ, clothed in his righteousness. You get to stand before God because you have all the righteousness of Jesus credited to your account. That gives us great power. That gives us great ability and power for the Christian is not the ability to lord things over people, but to be able to truly humble ourselves without feeling undone, but that we can stand before our God and Father and ask him for things and know that we can have them if they're good and right for us. Now, back to John for the last time. John chapter 20, verse 30. 
Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And in John 22, the last verse, verse 25. Now there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself cannot contain the books that would be written. And so he's like, this ain't nothing. That's what John is saying. He's like, this is just what we could here if we did if we told you everything he did and he says you know he's speaking hyperbole i suppose there's not enough room in the world for the books that could be written everything he did imagine the things that he did that didn't even get included did he make it he didn't make it in the book and he's not saying they weren't good enough he's just saying there's not enough time there's not enough space there's not enough room imagine being with jesus he's constant 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 if you've ever been around somebody that's really awesome and cool and people come up to them and they're just like you know one thing after the other and they're doing something good i guess maybe like a celebrity of some sort and people keep coming up to him and they're like you know he's whatever but jesus for him just to constantly i mean how do you not see suffering and not do something about it how do you not see death and not do something about it how do you not jesus is just walking and just in the i mean if the apostles had the the power for just a shadow to come across somebody if the the woman's just able to touch the corner of his garment and be healed um the stuff that was happening around jesus must have just been i mean john's just like this i I wish I could tell you everything that happened. And maybe we spend an eternity, eternity being able to, to be around witnesses that see things or to, to listen to Jesus himself and get an eye for ourselves to see what this must be like. But what more can he say than to you he has said? To him goes. Our hearts and minds have to be opened to the understanding of Scripture. Our hearts have to, uh, to burn within us as we hear him speak through the Bible and the preaching and baptism and Lord's Supper and then we can hear even the heavens declare the glory of God as night after night they pour forth speech. So we're living in a difficult moment but remember that God calls this life a slight momentary affliction. Now, you don't necessarily want to go up to somebody who's in deep suffering and go, hey, it's a slight momentary affliction. But Jesus has tasted death. Jesus has gone through the depths of suffering more than anybody he's able to say because he's been through it. As John Piper wrote a book, uh, Don't Waste Your Cancer. You can only name a book that when you have cancer. You, you can't go into somebody and say that if you haven't done it. He had cancer and he wrote during that time, don't waste this time. There's things to learn that you can only learn when you're going through that. So there are things for us to learn that we can only learn while we're going through this. Don't waste this time. And remember that he calls this life a slight momentary affliction and that the sufferings of this present life are not even worth comparing to the glory that awaits us. So if this is hard and not just this is, I mean, whatever this is, but there's been, you know, suffering, people suffer. And if the suffer, suffering, suffering of people is not even worth comparing to the glory that awaits us, it must be unfathomably awesome to be able to say that about it. I think our problem is we always think our trials are going to be 
far worse than it'll never be worth it. So if this is hard, imagine how great glory must be. So we just have to hang on. And it's just a little further. He is with us. He is in us. He is working through us. And he is risen. And the same power that is at work in Christ to raise him from the dead is at work in us. And he is risen. risen he is risen indeed. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you've sent your son. Uh, that he died on the cross for us, that you poured your wrath on him. Um, and he agreed to, this was a Trinitarian work. You didn't just send him and do this to him. And he didn't force you to do it so that you, you couldn't, where he, he stands in between us and you. You loved us so much. Jesus loved the Holy Spirit. You, Father, God, Son, Holy Spirit, you, God, has loved the world in such a way that this is how you love the world. You sent your son into the world so that those believers in you would never perish but have eternal life. So we thank you that we can see that Jesus defeated death. As John Owen said, the death of death and the death of Jesus Christ and the life of Jesus Christ. So you did indeed. He put death in the grave. And the last enemy to be destroyed will be death. We look forward to that. The day you will wipe every tear from our eye. In the meantime, help us to preach the gospel of repentance and faith and forgiveness of sins. Thank you for a day when people are quiet. And we maybe have anxiety, we maybe worry. But you have defeated death. And you've given us life. So yet we have, we're dying in the body. The old man is dying, the new man is being raised to new life. Help us to see that as we walk by faith and not by sight. And this we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.